0: This is Joanna Brooks, fellow traveler in Mormon feminism and author of the Book of Mormon Girl, with a special request for you. You know, since the beginning of the Mormon feminist movement, we have published our own books. We have supported our own art projects around intellectuals. And I'm asking you one more time to pony up in support of one of our Mormon feminist sisters, who I think is the most exciting and soon to be most accomplished public historian in Mormonism today. That's our girl, Lindsay Hanson Park, who tears it up on this podcast each week, bringing us incredible insights about the Mormon past, including polygamy and its persistent influence on the way we live our lives today. Lindsay does her thing bringing us brilliance for pennies. What does she make? cents on the dollar that every real Mormon podcaster makes if that it's up to us. it's up to us if. Mormon feminist history matters to you. If having incisive, intelligent critique of racial inequality, gender inequality in the Mormon church matters to you, will you support this podcast? As Mormon feminists have always done for each other, we've always published our own books, we've always supported our own arts, let's pitch in to support one of our own, doing crucial intellectual work that's going to stand the test of time. That's right. Go to Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast.org look for the donate button and use PayPal or whatever other means at your disposal to become a monthly subscriber join me in becoming a subscriber to this podcast just $10 a month, $20 a month and you can hold your head high and know that you're contributing to a long history of Mormon sisters doing it for themselves, thank you Two, three, mm-hmm.
1: go. Feminist Mormon Housewives. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives Podcast. I'm your host, Feminist. Lindsay, bringing you another episode in the Mormon. Year of Polygamy series where we try to understand the practice of Mormon plural marriage. Feminism. And I've, I'm really excited about this episode. I know I say that a lot, but. I am talking to one of my most favorite people on the entire planet, John Hamer. So uh, if you...
2: (laughs) I'm very excited to be on again.
1: Yes, John Hamer came on and we did a two-part series on Emma Smith and you were also on for the Secession Crisis episode. So I would recommend everyone check out those amazing podcasts. But not only is John one of my favorite people on the planet, but he is also a very accomplished historian, and map maker. And what else are you up to these days, John?
2: Uh, These days, I am pastor of my congregation, which is the downtown Toronto Congregation of Community of Christ. I'm also, uh, my calling in the Mission Center, which is like our kind of a big stake is Mission Center historian, so historian for the Community of Christ in Canada.
1: Well, I've, I've brought you on today to talk about something that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, and I apologize in advance because I've been really sick, so I don't know if that comes across in my voice or not my My head sounds really foggy but uh this has been there is an argument that's been floating around for a very long time. I would say, for as long as Mormonism has been around, the idea that Joseph Smith has never practiced polygamy. And, uh, I still encounter this, this argument online. People will message me or tag me in arguments and, um, try to, try to approve or convince me that perhaps Joseph Smith wasn't a polygamist. And John, I know you've been involved in those for a long time too. So yes. I, I thought it would be good to bring John on and we could sort of put a rest to those rumors and talk about where those, um, allegations that Joseph was never a polygamist came from and sort of right. give the history to that. Does that sound right. good?
2: Yeah. Yes, I agree with you. I get tagged in those too, and they can be very frustrating. <laughs> so, so, those arguments.
1: From what I'm aware, it's recently been sort of, re- It's the arguments have been resurfacing because Rock Waterman, who runs a blog called Pure Mormonism, I think he wrote um, a big in-depth, detailed article sort of Recycling these old arguments that come from the Price family. And now the Price are what I believe were former or still RLDS. I'm not really up on the splits of the RLDS church. So how did they identify?
2: Right. So this is, so Rock got a hold of Richard and Pamela Price's uh, book or two-volume book, Joseph Smith Fought Polygamy. And, uh, that's written, like you say, it's by the Richard and Pamela Price. They are actually, um, important leaders in the kind of schismatic or ex-RLDS movement. So the breakaway from the community of Christ, um, over, you know, the, essentially it's the conservative split. So people who did not like the idea that Um, community of Christ gave up the claim to be the one and only true church that did not like, um, community of Christ being open to, um, academic history. Uh, they wanted to continue to tell the stories the way they've always been told, despite the problem, the academic challenges to those stories. Um, people who did not want to, um, uh, embrace women in the priesthood. And so, um, Richard and Pamela Price are kind of, very early leaders in the '70s, who um, uh, were, you know, part of that conservative, reactionary movement to where the church was moving, the RLDS Church, and they wrote a bunch of books. Uh, and And this this particular polemic is simply the rehashing of the old, um, non-academic, non-scholarly RLDS polemic, which claims that joseph smith was not the originator of polygamy but that brigham young was
1: right and um they have a website where you can go read the book and i would actually encourage people to read it because you know i had heard so much about it i i had read rock stuff but i hadn't really dove into the prices research so i was really expecting something new or revelatory or something that i hadn't come across and there were a few there were a few little things that i had heard but there's nothing in there that I found shockingly convincing.
2: Right. Well, it's not. It's not actually new history in any way. So this, what really is going on here, is they are reprinting um, arguments that the RLDS Church made, let's say, in the 1940s and 30s and 20s. Uh, it, actually, going all the way back to the 1870s or so. Uh, and these are not. Th- these were arguments that were not made by. Trained historians or people that had access to all of the historical information that we have had, we have access to now. And as you are aware, you know, having done this incredibly, in, you know, detailed uh, series of podcasts on all of the evidence about Mormon polygamy, this is not just a tiny amount of evidence. We, it's, this isn't a, a thing that's actually open to to question. This, there is a total. Scholarly consensus among all historians whether they're a community Christ historian or LDS historian ex Mormon historians non non Mormon historians who are examining the movement everyone agrees in a complete historical consensus that Joseph Smith is the originator of Mormon polygamy the evidence is uh, overwhelming and it can't be it's not it's not actually in question so well, so this is this this book while um, uh, you know while it's was interesting to people who maybe aren't aware of what all the evidence is. Um, In fact, it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually address all of that evidence because the prices actually don't know anything about all of that evidence. It's not an, this is not an academic book.
1: That's what I was going to ask you to sort of give our listeners. I would assume the majority of our listeners are familiar with the community of Christ, formerly RLDS's past with polygamy denial, but do can you give us sort of like a brief history of that?
2: Yeah. So the reality is that when polygamy was being practiced in Nauvoo during Joseph Smith's lifetime, it was a secret. And so it was a secret practice that people were not to talk about in the same way that you couldn't talk about the the temple endowment. Right? And so there were just things that were just not to be it wasn't to be talked about. And in fact, in public Joseph Smith would routinely claim that, um, that they, you know, he would condemn polygamy and he would claim that everyone wasn't practiced, that they weren't, that no one was practicing polygamy. And the way he would, the way he was saying that it was what we call, you know, like lying for the Lord, where he would, in order to protect the church, he said things that were not true. And one of the things, one of the ways he felt that justified in lying like that, not only was to protect the church but also because he would say to himself well no one is practicing polygamy polygamy is the devil's uh, corruption of a true eternal principle which is plural marriage or celestial marriage which is what they were practicing and so um they, the reality is though that people would hear it and then and they would be you know misled you know deliberately misled by the kind of public statements that were made so since only an inner core were were aware of the practice it was it was widely um it was an op- a relatively open secret because there was a lot of exposés even during Joseph Smith's own lifetime but it it was something that was still pl- had plausible deniability while he was alive and so as a result of that later when Joseph the 3rd joseph Smith's son and his brothers came together and helped form the rlds church. He became the first prophet of the reorganization he He himself believed the denial rhetoric, in other words that Joseph Smith didn't have anything to do with polygamy and and so, as a result of that, that even though other people in the rlds church knew better, he was actually able to over the course of his long 50-year uh, presidency he was able to win the day and all the people who knew better o- over time died and so then uh his position that joseph smith and his father joseph smith hadn't been involved in polygamy is the one that prevailed and so the the way that the rlds church then told the story which is not an academic history they, it was just how they understood it based on how joseph the third Believed it and told, retold the story to his his sons. Uh, was that Joseph Smith uh, Jr. did not practice polygamy, but that um, polygamy was was introduced into the church by the apostles, so by Brigham, Brigham Young, and then that's uh, that caused a latter day apostasy, and the whole LDS Church, the all Utah Mormonism was clearly in a state of you know total apostasy in the same way that the church at Jesus' time, went into apostasy, right? So,
1: Yeah, so would it be fair to say, you know, we've spent a lot of time in this podcast showing that the LDS church, the LDS version, is so entrenched in a culture of polygamy that even though, you know, we have distanced ourselves from it today, it still is around and affects us. Would it be fair to say that the RLDS church spent an equal amount of energy um, being anti-polygamy and so it became culturally important and maybe even um, religiously important to a lot of people that Joseph was not a polygamist.
2: Oh, it was, it was absolutely religiously important to people and to the prices, for example, that to believe that Joseph was not a polygamist and it was absolutely, that was the identity of the RLDS church. The RLDS church's identity from 1860 on till the early 20th century is fighting. We are the, the Latter-day Saints who fought polygamy we oppose polygamy that was the if you go to the um the church's publication is called the Saints Herald on um, the original masthead of the Saints Herald the um the scripture uh is the quote from the book of mormon that you know that says the polygamy is an abomination you know <laughs> so i mean that was like it was on the masthead itself <laughs> you know it's we are opposed to polygamy that's the the very first you know the very first thing about the RLDS church so
1: and I have to say that I, you know, reading the prices research, I, I don't mean to slander them or anything, but I found it, you know, when I got there, reading of their version of Joseph is a completely different version of Joseph now that I understand. But it was, it's a sort of what seductive view of Joseph. It reminded me of sort of my feelings of Joseph before I realized that he had been married, you know, to multiple women. And I, I can find, I, I can find this sort of, um, comfort in their view of Joseph. It is, he is this hero. He is this victim of slander, even from his friends. And he and his wife, Emma, had this solid marriage. And that's kind of the narrative as I understand it. Yeah. That's nice. It's compelling.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. W- so, we all uh, wish
1: it was that way, right?
2: Well, I mean, it would, it would be nice if he hadn't. You know, <laughs> if you hadn't engaged in polygamy. If you, I mean, in other words, that was, a, it, it's it caused, it's been, it, the whole problem in the whole movement has, you know, everything about, the movement is entirely about polygamy and still is because of, because of, you know, the, what he did. So,
1: so, um, I wanted to go over, you know, piece by piece of all the evidence because I think that you can refute all the arguments, but, um, I don't know that we would have time to do that. So,
2: the main thing that, That they just don't even have in the, in the, in the book at all is just addressing all of the evidence. And so what, what, what they do is they take the way, the way you're able to um, try to make this case, the only way you're able to make this kind of case is by uh, selectively just wiping out massive amounts of evidence, right? And so the, the way they do it is they simply say anything that any of Brigham Young's followers out in Utah later said and later recalled, all of that is is not trustworthy, right? right. So, and every, everything in all of Utah Mormonism. So, all of the affidavits that we have, all the testimony, all the recollections, every single thing uh, that happens after the fact, since they're all part of Brigham Young's conspiracy, you know, they're all that has to be thrown away. So that's you know, you just start with that, but then. what they end up doing also though is then they also have to throw out all sorts of um evidence of people from people who also are very opposed to brigham young and so there's just a whole bunch of time that where they explain essentially that that william law for example who is just an incredible opponent of brigham young and the um and and the practice of polygamy in Nauvoo, which Joseph Smith was also a part of, of course, at the heart of, but somehow, um, William Law is again, part of this anti-Joseph conspiracy, you know, with Brigham Young, even though he's on the other team, you know, likewise, all of the other branches. So it's not just, it doesn't end up just being the RLDS church and, um, and the Brighamites. There were all of the other, um, branches of the church that broke apart so the cutlerites the strangites the Rigdonites, the um williamites you know the uh, uh, the whiteites and so we and and all of them too we all pre- preserve um you know this information and testimony that um the polygamy was being practiced by joseph smith that joseph smith is the origin of polygamy and, and, and so why are they part of Brigham Young's conspiracy? They oppose him, you know, they, they're absolutely antagonistic to him. So it, it it's, you can't, and then, then you have all of the, you know, then you have also have all of the ex Mormons, you know, who are opposed to everybody, you know, so, you know, everybody, yes, they, they make a big deal and pretend that Bennett is a conspirator, but Bennett, it ends up turning, turning out that his, his testimony that he has, that's published in Joseph Smith's lifetime, his expose has preserves all sorts of data that line up with all of the other testimony that is given by by people who are positive to Joseph Smith. So we, so it's not just you know Joseph Smith's enemies; it's his friends. It's Brigham Young's enemies, Brigham Young's friends. It's we have. Uh, we have information from everybody on this. So, anyway.
1: Yeah, no, and and that is exactly, if you were to break this down bit by bit, it's it's the same sort of thing. And so, if you don't mind, can I just go over, like, the bullet points of the thrust of their, ar- their argument, just yeah. so we can, so people don't have to read that. I mean, they're welcome yeah. to do that. But uh, I'm just going to read, like, their mission statement. This is what they say. It says, quote, Joseph fought against this doctrine from the time he was married to Emma in 1827, even before the church was organized, until the time of his death. He did not practice polygamy nor teach it to others. Years later, his sons went to Utah and proclaimed against polygamy. In order to counteract their efforts, the leaders of the Mormon church, such as Brigham Young, John Taylor, and Heber C. Kimball, had some of their wives and other women make affidavits that stated that that they had been Joseph's wives in Nauvoo. The fact that Joseph and Hiram had no children born of polygamous wives and that the testimonies of, of the alleged wives can be proven false is only a part of the vast amount of evidence which indicates that Joseph was innocent. End quote. And just right off the bat, like that drives me bonkers, <laughs> like that <laughs> statement, because what they're saying, the thrust of their argument is these affidavits that were collected and, and you and Don Bradley are going to come on later and talk about all of these affidavits. But the thrust of their argument is that these affidavits, where women swore, wrote down, and signed their testimony of being in a polygamous union in Victorian America, that they had sexual relations with another married man, to say that those aren't credible and that those are lies is like incredibly sexist to me. It's incredibly sexist.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's what they're they're, they, they that's their argument that you have to say that all of those women are, like you say, they're non-credible, they're liars, they're they are in the thrall of Brigham Young, you know, out there in Utah, and so they'll say anything in order to discredit Joseph Smith.
1: Right. And what we're basically doing is saying that these women are liars, many women are liars, like we're talking a lot of women are liars, right. to to preserve the reputation of one man. And there are so many problems with that.
2: The other problem with it is is that, again, it's, not just those affidavits. We don't only have those. We have the Strangites, you know. So we have testimony in the Temple Lot case from the Strangites who were aware that Joseph Smith, you know, taught polygamy. We have the, the, the Whiteites, you know, these are, these are groups that are inimical, you know, absolutely inimical to Brigham Young. And yet they also are doing this. The, uh, you know, they also have, they also pl- practicing polygamy and they also are tracing their polygamy to the practice that they were doing in Nauvoo with Joseph Smith. So it's, 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 you have to create and not only a, um, a vast conspiracy of Brighamites, you have to create a non credible conspiracy because everybody's in on it except Joseph the third, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and they do that. They spend a lot of time on the Cochranites. Like half of their book is on the Cocker knights. Do you want to give us some background into the Cocker knights?
2: Well, uh, so what they're trying to do is is they're trying to say, well, where where is the actual origin? And so the, there's, there's this idea. So there's polygamy is not only happening among the Mormons. Um, there were a, there were multiple different, let's say, experiments with changing the traditional family around you know, in this kind of religious revolution of the Second Great Awakening, um, America. And so there were uh, different communes where they had kind of like free love communes. There were other people that were practicing polygamy. And so one of the examples that the prices have found is these guys in Maine called the Cochranites. And they believe that since, since some of the early church missionaries, including some of the apostles, um, were missionaries in maine and they converted some of these cochranites to becoming um latter-day saints and since the cochranites were one of these people that were practicing a kind of polygamy of spiritual wife practice that 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 therefore must be the origin of it but there is no it's not a it's not a compelling argument at all there's no particular reason they just have found a something that some people are doing there's a connection there but it's exactly the same as um you know, there's all kinds of parallels and connections and coincidences that happen in history at all times. So, in the same exact way, you know, um, the all of the Masonic connections we might say is a coincidence. So, you know, William, you, you know, there's the the Book of Mormon is uh, you know in an anti Masonic tract in that it it predicts that secret combinations you know will ultimately undermine the the United States. And so it's written at the time of the, you know, anti-Masonic frenzy during the William Morgan trial. Anyway, that just is just, I'm, I'm making this as a parallel of a weird coincidence. So it's, it's happening at that time. And then William Morgan's widow ends up joining the early church and she ends up being one of Joseph Smith's early plural wives. And then Joseph Smith ends up being a Mason and then he ends up, you know, creating the temple endowment based on the, you know, the Masonic rituals. <laughs> so it's, it, there's weird parallels that are going on, but it's not because of, uh, William Morgan doesn't have any direct influence on uh, I'm I, I'm not even sure how I'm ex- trying to explain what I mean here. <laughs> anyway, in other words, weird things are happening. People are excited about masonry, but it doesn't mean that um, the 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 one thing goes you know, uh, as the origin of the other. That's all.
1: Correlation is not causation in all of these cases. Yeah, and um, yeah, they they tie Brigham Young's wife Augusta Cobb to the Cochranites. and and right. we the leader dies in 1836, right? The Jacob Cochran. Right. So. They they tie this and that, and that's their evidence that you know she influenced Brigham Young with this and that. Completely throws Brigham Young's whole polygamy history out the window and Augusta Cobb's entire experience. So it's like I said, I I don't mean to belittle the prices as people, but their arguments are completely sexist, even in the language that they use. um, I was reading a, a sentence that said. Quote, Married men embrace the doctrines promulgated while their more virtuous or level-headed wives would have no part or lot in the matter and I think that that sums up sort of how they're viewing these people. It's really through a Victorian lens that men of course got on board for this, but their virtuous wives weren't having it, and that that just does not describe these saints, these people that were involved in this, not to say that they weren't virtuous or anything like that but they were a lot more complicated and their morals were not in line, I would say, with like traditional Victorian morals. Their their values were different, and that's why the Mormons were so controversial. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, well and and so why why are they why do they prices have no empathy for the early members who, you know, end up practicing polygamy? It's because they're going back to the old R.L. D.S. polemic. So at the at at this point it, you know it was a us versus them line and people on the other side are simply you know they're under the influence of the devil and they are are giving in to lasciviousness you know and they are become they're ceasing to be civilized people because of because of this and so so their their polemic here isn't doesn't doesn't understand the phenomenon at all because it's not it doesn't aware of it, you know, so in other words, it hasn't, they haven't actually read any of the sources that you have talked, you know, that you've talked about in all of your podcasts, you know, they're just repeating old polemic, so.
1: Well, and Brian Hales was kind enough to talk to me before we recorded this, and because one thing I had stumbled upon in their reading was that Brigham Young had this polygamy revelation uh, allegedly in 39 or 40 before he even talks about it with, you know, Joseph Smith in 41, and so, Brian Hales was giving me the evidence on that. And for example, Brigham Young recalls later on in in the 1874 journal of discourses that when he was on his mission to England, he had a revelation that prepared him for this practice. Yeah. But we don't, as far as I'm aware of, there's no like journal entry or anything that has, that has him talking about that at the time. And if, You know, like, that is their evidence that Brigham Young was going to come and corrupt Joseph, like, because he had this revelation himself in England, he gets home from England, and he introduces the practice. And that, like, based on that is such flimsy, flimsy parallels to draw.
2: Right. And more, more, like you say, the the reality of that is more likely is Brigham Young often, late in life, re-remembered things based on what had happened you know, like anybody else does. So in other words, time goes on. He's now, you know, head of the church and the church is polygamist. So he, he re-remembers earlier memories in light of where he is in the present, you know. and And so people constantly redo that. And that's why we need to have, you know, contemporary sourcing for anything like that.
1: That's one of those instances that you talked about earlier where, you know, Brigham Young is this vile, you know criminal that that dragged Joseph Smith down, and he can't be trusted except for here when we can trust him
2: <laughs> right right, yeah, so yeah, um and so other everything else that he says obviously is a lie, but here's where he he's he slipped up and actually admitted it, right, yeah, <laughs> so.
1: yeah, and they do that with Bennett too um there are two yeah. there are two more points that I got from it, which is John C. Bennett was involved, I mean they make the accusation that Bennett seduces Eliza. Are snow, and he gets her pregnant. And of course, they are drawing crazy parallels based on a man called uh, Dr. Wilhelm Weil, who was a German reporter that wrote some exposés, and they, they don't like him. They don't like his accounts of everything else, but they do like this account right. that he seduces Eliza. Do you want to talk about why they're so focused on the John C. Bennett stuff?
2: Well, so that's evidence that they can't. That they're actually aware of, or that everybody was aware of way back in the eighteen, you know, forties. That everybody's aware of it at the time. So Bennett, because when when he has the you know a break with the church leadership, and when he's expelled, he immediately goes on a um, a lecture tour where he spends two years. He writes a book that's an expose, and uh, he goes on an anti Mormon lecture tour for two years, <laughs> and so all of that information is very uh, available and everybody's aware of it so even if you're you know like the early non-academic um polemics have to explain away bennett and all of his information and and people are fairly easily able to do that in a polemic situation where you just say well he's an (laughs) anti-mormon you know he's an aggrieved person he was the actually the corrupting influence you know i mean that's just normal normal way they treat apostates anyway. So he's, so uh, you, you can't trust anything that he says except for, um, you know, when he's slipping up and more or less admitting that he was the person that was responsible for all of this stuff. So
1: yeah. And uh, I should point out that Brian Hales is publishing an article on Bennett because he also, he actually, um, he was very kind about the prices research. He doesn't agree with it at all. And like, like you said earlier, all historians, even very conservative Mormon ones like Fair, do not agree with the Price's research. But Brian was saying that, you know, the thrust of his article is that Bennett can't be trusted at all. And Bennett does later on come in, I think it was 1843 to the Iowa Hawkeye. And he says yep. that he never heard about eternal marriage in Nauvoo. So, like, there are just so many holes like you said with updated information that probably people at the time were not tracking timelines of but it's very easy you can do a simple internet search and put a timeline together quite easily.
2: Right. And and I don't and, and I by the way I don't agree with Brian in terms of whether Bennett is trustworthy or not I think that he definitely is he exaggerates he lies but that doesn't mean that he has to be thrown out entirely he actually definitely is recording information that is confirmed in all sorts of other sources. So he is a hostile source because he's, you know, hostile to Joseph Smith and trying to bring the church down and everything like that when he's publishing his exposés. But there are all sorts of bits of information in what he gives that that are then confirmed through sources that are very, very positive to Joseph Smith. And so, and so that's you know that's how you just have to read through all the sources. So
1: well, and I'd like to point out the problem for me with the anti-Mormon argument is something that you brought up earlier, which is at any given time there, like who is anti-Mormon, right? Mormons still can't define that now, but with so many breakoffs and then people coming back in together in groups and all of these different schisms and groups around Mormonism, to say that like we can't trust someone because they were not friendly to Mormonism doesn't really hold water because pretty much everybody wasn't friendly to Mormonism. So if you're a faithful and you want to believe that the devil is like conspiring against the righteous, I guess that's a compelling argument. But historians can't go with that argument.
2: Well, exactly. Historians, what we do is we take all of this incredible amounts of sources and we have to um, consider them all based on, the different there, the, you know, where, how credible they are, but based on the the different sources, motivations, agenda, how they, and, and how um, accurately they tell other parts of the story. And then, and then what you want to do is you want to find multiple attestations. So when you have people who have completely different motives, you know, and they are all telling the same story, then that's, that's all help. That's all, you know, builds it all together, you know? And right. so then we also have everything from um, stuff that's happening contemporaneously, you know, which obviously has a little bit more priority. So we were just talking about, well, what happens if you have a recollection that you're making, you know, like in 1870 or 1880? Well, that obviously your recollection is going through the filter of memory. And you also could, you know, so so therefore, you would like to go and see is does Brigham Young have a diary entry, you know, at the time of this purported. Polygamy revelation. I mean, one of the things that we do have, again, just on that they don't address at all in the Price's book, but one of the things that we do have is um, Joseph Smith's own pri- personal secretary, um, William Clayton, is keeping journals contemporaneously, so at the time, you know, and so in his journal entry for July 12, 1843, he writes, This AM, I wrote a revelation consisting of ten pages on the order of priesthood showing the designs of Moses, Abraham, David, and Solomon having many wives and concubines, etc. It was wrote, jo- presidents Joseph and Hiram presented it and read it to Emma, who said that she did not believe a word of it and it appeared very rebellious. Joseph told me to deed all unencumbered lots to Emma and the children. He appears much troubled about Emma. <laughs> you know, I mean, in other words, there's all kinds of, of, Things that are going on in the actual contemporary diaries, where we're where you know William Clayton is talking about the contemporary practice of <laughs> polygamy in Nauvoo and Joseph Smith. So,
1: yeah, and and William Clayton, of course, gets one of his plural wives pregnant in Nauvoo, and um, I, I'm trying to think of there are several that that did as well. I mean, so there are babies being born, and none of this is even addressed. I I didn't even. Really catch William Clayton's name in that book very much at all.
2: Well, so the journal, his, so, so, his, since his journal wasn't available and it wasn't published in the 1860s and 70s, the prices are not particularly aware of it, right? So this is the thing about a non academic book. You know, this is a book that is just repeating old polemics. And so there's all of this evidence that exists and, and the book, their book doesn't treat it because they're not aware of it because they aren't reading any of this stuff because it's just you know William Clayton ultimately becomes a brigamite so therefore you can't trust anything and he probably went back and and in their minds he probably went back and rewrote his diary maybe <laughs> but it's clear that he didn't you know so we cuz we have uh you know uh, epigraphers we have people who are you know handwriting specialists this is not a big forgery <laughs> you know so, so- I mean, George George Smith who's the um um Owner of Signature Books is the person who d- edited the diaries. You know, so.
1: yeah, George is great. Um, so there, there are two other arguments. One of them is that the Book of Mormon condemns it, so that is proof that Joseph never practiced it. And the other one is tied into that, which is Joseph publicly condemned polygamy and denied it. And we talk a lot about this in episode ten. So if you haven't listened to episode ten, Novu Polygamy, we sort of give a timeline and explanation of what Joseph was doing publicly versus privately, but they rely heavily on the public writings of Joseph Smith.
2: Right. So, so that, that section of the book of Mormon, that verse of the book of Mormon where polygamy is condemned, that was near and dear to the hearts of everybody in the RLDS (laughs) church, you know, for hundreds of years. Like I said, that was on the masthead of the newspaper. Um, But people didn't, you know, the RLDS church, then didn't read to the next verse that says, "But you know, uh, the the Lord will will institute it if He wants to raise up a righteous seed or something like that, or can, or ha- you know, whatever it is." There's the out clause that comes next, which is what LDS people out in Utah would constantly say to our LDS people when they our LDS people quoted the first verse. You know, <laughs> so anyway, so that and so what did what does it say? It says that I'm sorry that Joseph Smith already at the time of the Book of Mormon's composition is thinking about polygamy. So it's on his mind and 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 it's at that time the text as dictated he's coming out against it but he, all kinds of things exist in the book of mormon that are different from joseph smith's later thinking it's the same ideas that maybe are he's tossing around but he they don't but it's not formulated with where he finally ends up so the book of mormon for example has a very different um, concept of god and christology then Joseph Smith's ultimate teachings in late Nauvoo, the progression theology which is completely um absent from the Book of Mormon. You know, there's all kinds of things like um the Book of Mormon is very anti uh anti-universalist. So there's not universal salvation. People are really being sent to uh, hellfire and a lake of fire and stuff like that in the Book of Mormon, but it doesn't take too many too long after the church is organized that there's the vision of the three degrees of glory that changed that. Right. So these are things that Joseph Smith is clearly wrestling with and the book of Mormon doesn't end up having his final, you know, where he lands ultimately (laughs) on these things.
1: And polygamy as it's explained is a works doctrine, right? It's, it's a, it's a works doctrine, which means you have to do this. You have to pass this test. You have to sacrifice to have this eternal blessing, to have this eternal um, salvation, and so polygamy sort of does mirror a lot of the theological principles, in my opinion, that are in the Book of Mormon, even though it's not explicitly stated. But that I, I don't think that that's necessarily an argument for it. But I like I like your point that he is clearly thinking about it, right. you know, early on, and and we know. Um, from rumors and uh, reports that Joseph had a reputation of being interested in women from a right. young age.
2: Right. So those rumors are dogging him all the way the whole time. And so because of the later evidence we have in later times, you know, it makes, you know, earlier rumors more credible. So,
1: What would you say, which I think this is the most compelling um, evidence that i've heard people say online i don't i don't really see it a lot in the prices work but that joseph doesn't have like he's nearly silent in his own journals or um in any primary sources from joseph about plural marriage
2: well because it is you know absolutely it's it's absolutely a secret <laughs> It's clearly dynamite, you know, and so when when the different people go and have their exposés and they reveal it, like Bennett, uh, like William Law, these are things that cause massive scandals. And if he were to admit it in public, you know, he would really, really would, you know, get lynched you know or the people would be run out of run out of town run out of the state run out of the country well and it's not like they were
1: unfounded right there are attempts at joseph because of this like angry mobs as we would say because of these accusations so he was under constant threat
2: sure absolutely and ultimately i mean it's even though you know polygamy becomes a a very kind of crazy open secret after joseph smith's death because at that point the number of people that are um involved in the practice as you know from this series you know in later Nauvoo um, after joseph smith Nauvoo, you know it's so many people that are involved that it's a very open secret and same thing crossing the plains and everything like that but it is still multiple years after they're in utah uh, before they actually openly admit it so there's still even though it's absolutely known by everybody they're still publicly lying about it and they're publicly lying about it um in europe i think it's john taylor is off in europe you know he just has issued a big huge denial of everything and then and then and then the paper comes that brigham young has admitted it out in utah and so then he has to immediately retract and turn around you know what he just what he's just said
1: and everyone's crying over there and they're feeling betrayed and they have this great apostasy over there which shows that i mean like it needs to be argued that this was such a caustic doctrine, right? It was so controversial that theres reasons to keep it secret. And I mean we see that we see that even today. It's such a controversial subject, especially in Western culture, that a lot of the polygamous groups now thrive on the secrecy. so it's I call it a Mormon tradition um, of telling the public one thing and doing something privately. I just think and Joseph was doing that in other aspects of his leadership too. It wasn't just sure. polygamy
2: sure the 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 restoration of the kingdom, the fact that he'd been crowned king of the kingdom of God on earth, was a secret <laughs> that was a huge secret you know so there there's all kinds of things that were going on like that that um are being done in secret so and he would deny it in public
1: well um i think I think one thing that I really like about what the community of Christ has done is when the evidence changes. So does their opinion, even though it has been incredibly, incredibly painful for your church, right? To sort of sure. recognize this. Do you want to talk about that at all?
2: Yeah. So part of the part of the trouble ends up being, when, you know, in, it's the same for community crises as for the LDS Church. When you aren't, when the churches were founded, they had no academic historians involved at all. People naturally were record keepers and they told stories and they, and they did like what we might say are vernacular histories. And those histories are sort of like sacred stories. And they're also part of um, your apologetics of maybe even why you believe and what you believe and what your identity is. And so, but they aren't, but they aren't necessarily, you know, historically accurate. Right. (laughs) So, and so both churches faced this problem coming into the 1960s, uh, of different portions of the their histories that, you know, being, you know, inaccurate when, and when the actual academic histories started coming out, it became really problematic for everybody. But for community of Christ, it had been a, a really big issue because the church itself, the RLDS church had been so opposed to polygamy um, right from the beginning, but then it also taken this further claim that Joseph Smith also you know was not involved in polygamy. that ended up being a you know the, the fight against polygamy that community of Christ had that they were it was, a, it was it was a truly believed and fought principle on the part of the early church members who were opposed to polygamy. but that additional claim that Joseph Smith himself wasn't involved in it, that ends up being a false claim and so it ends up intermixing let's say your your part of your history that you actually are proud of with a something that's not true. <laughs> so and so then ultimately through the since since that story had been retold and retold so Joseph the 3rd you know believed that um there was no smoking gun evidence he didn't have access to all of the evidence that we have now today and he also was not a trained historian he was trained Uh, had legal training and he felt that the way you could do history is more by as like a court case and he kind of looked at his father whether his father was guilty or not as whether or not he felt like that there was a smoking gun evidence that you'd be able to convict him in a in a jury trial and he felt that that wasn't there so his position was a little bit nuanced his position was my father was a good man a good man wouldn't have founded polygamy. And if my father founded polygamy, it would still have been wrong, but I believe he was a good man and that he therefore wouldn't have founded polygamy. <laughs> so it was a very nuanced kind of position which is what Joseph III's position was. His sons, though, who were the next presidents of the church, um, didn't hear that nuance. They just heard Joseph Smith didn't do it. Brigham Young did it. And so um, his his sons are later prophets are of the RLDS Church, which are Fred M. Smith, Israel A. Smith. And W. Wallace Smith, and um, especially Israel A. Smith, was very clear, speaking as prophet of the church or speaking as president of church in the 1950s in the RLDS Church, that where he would um, say that Joseph Smith was not did not originate polygamy, and so that's the kind of thing that the prices remember. And so, as a result, it was very hard when when the actual academic information came in for people, and they're like. But our prophet said that that Joseph Smith didn't, you know, start polygamy. Well, Israel A. Smith didn't have any special knowledge of history on that. He just was repeating what he, a sacred story as he understood it, you know, so.
1: Well, and I want to point out just to go back to Joseph Smith III, from everything that I know about him, and I'm sure you know loads, loads more, but he seems like a genuinely curious, reflective, honest person and you know, we talked about this in the episode with Joseph F. Smith. They were cousins and they both each sort of go on their crusade to prove their side of polygamy and they each collect affidavits and all of that. But, you know, you'll read accounts of Joseph F. Smith going and visiting. I think it was um, Ina Coolbrith, So he goes over to Ina and I think if the accounts I'm remembering are right, like he wasn't accusatory. He He was kind, you know, he was kind about this. So he was open. He had a genuine... Desire to find out the truth and was trying yep. to do the best that he could, in my opinion that's how i 've read the history
2: well, I mean, I think he was a earnest i think he was an earnest guy, and I think he was he was i don't know he he, he it's hard to say i mean so was he seeking after the truth I think he was, but on the other hand, he also didn't want to be find find out the the bad truth <laughs>
1: so, right right
2: so i mean in other words, he has that interior internal conflict. Um, but i think that so says he's something holding out about that hope based on he wants a smoking gun and that's what happens for a lot of the people um the prices are able to instantly dismiss all brighamite information what what mormons who read their book are able to it, it's too confusing to even understand where how they can come up with a position that they're at <laughs> you know because you have to kind of you, have, you if to be a Mormon and read the Price's book, you have to understand the logic of this is that Brigham Young is the devil, <laughs> you right? Know, you know, and obviously, uh, every, you know, every, his successors are clearly apo- in apostasy. So people have to understand that that's that's the this basis of this book, right? <laughs> so, but that's that's a
1: complicated thing that I was going to talk about because so it's been really hard for the RLDS Church to. Go back on this to admit that there were mistakes made that you know new evidence has come to light, and I was thinking the LDS Church is doing that now you know with the essays and things like that, but it's really complicated in the LDS Church because if you were to tell Joseph Smith the third that you know in a hundred years the church would. Renounce polygamy and then pretend it didn't happen. I don't think he would believe it, right? It's, no, it's, no,
2: he would never believe it.
1: <laughs> it's so <laughs> shocking because he
2: was fighting it for for so. He was he, Joseph the Third, not Joseph Junior. <laughs> Joseph the Third really did fight fight polygamy, and he and that was his life calling. And um, he ultimately, I mean, he was he was um, alive for a whole long time. You know, up until the the nineteen teens of the twentieth century, and so he was able to see. Both the, uh, you know, the, the manifesto, the first manifesto, but then also the smooth hearings and to see the LDS church, you know, at a certain point really start to abandon polygamy. And so that was a, it was, for him, that was a, a triumph in his life's work. Now, the idea that they would later, like you say, deny that it had even happened i I don't think he could even imagine such a thing would have been possible so i
1: know well that's the strange thing i think about the position of the lds church i would like to say like we're going through the same thing that our lds church did but we're kind of not because we still haven't really decided where we stand on polygamy and we admit that joseph did it and uh That's complicated for Mormons who want to believe he didn't do it, but then to believe he didn't do it, then you have to believe that every prophet after him was making things up or in apostasy or whatever. I mean, it's just such a mess for, in my opinion, for LDS Mormons to even go down that road because there's so much baggage tied to it.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, I think that at a certain point, too, you know, there's like a lot of excitement. Mormons right now because of Joseph Smith and polygamy. And so even trying to, you know, because it's such a complicated and awful issue. So dealing with the underage wives is a, especially hard in the 20th, 20, 20, 21st century um, sensibilities. And then also the wives that, that are married to other people. So the two, the polyandrous wives. And so those um, are especially complicated seemingly. Um, and yet in, in kind of coming to these this place where the people decide well in those cases it's just entirely spiritual and he is not actually having you know relations sexual relations with any of them with any underage wives and things like that i think that again then you once you start you know trying to work that out and walk into that path you are not paying attention to the subsequent history like you're saying so what about all of the subsequent brighamite successor prophets with their underage wives <laughs> you know, which they were having relations with, you know, so.
1: Yeah, well, I really appreciate you coming on um, every once in a while when I'm engaged in an argument, I'll message you and say, (laughs) like, oh, (laughs) brother, John, (laughs) this is not, not because like, I understand, trust me, as a Mormon woman who struggled with the idea of polygamy for so long, I understand the deep, deep desire to want to make Joseph Smith not a polygamist. I understand my life would be a hundred times easier had he not been, but it's just too compelling.
2: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, you know, if it was, if it was possible to argue that that was possible, in other words, that that this conspiracy theory that the prices have is actually possible, then, then we probably, we wouldn't have gone through it as as community of Christ, right? So we would have been able to, we would have just stepped back and said, well, academically, we can't say one way or the other on this one. So we'll just say, we don't really know and not worry about it, (laughs) you know, but we do know (laughs) everyone knows So the evidence is conclusive, so.
1: Well, John, thanks again so much. And everyone, look forward to when we're going to be talking about these different affidavits and the temple law and how they all come into play. But thank you again for coming on. I always enjoy talking to you.
2: Love talking to you about all this wonderful work you're doing.
1: Thank you.